Behind Matters with Sandy and Kathleen. No Sandy, again, um, just me and Sophie. So we're welcoming Sophie this evening, or well, this morning, this morning in London. Hello, Sophie. Hi, how you doing? Good. Don't you try and put on that Aussie accent that you used to have. <laughs> it might come out a little bit. I'll jump between accents. I can be, I can be two interviews interviewees at once <laughs> i think there's multi people in the room all let all of your personalities out so um all of them, yeah. <laughs> sophie is um a friend of my stepson who some of you may have seen the interview with him this is part of my my corona as i'm calling it interview series where i'm talking to people all around the world about their experience uh during this pandemic and social distancing and isolating and all the rest of it so i thought who else can i talk to in london other than sophie so I thank you, first of all, very much for doing this. And um, yeah, it's the first time we've had a chance to catch up for a couple since you were last in Australia. So it's been a couple of years. So um, and you've been there. We were just discussing Sophie's been in London for six years. So she's well and truly accustomed to the lifestyle over there. So we're going to run through um, the standard series of questions that I've done um, if, with everybody that we've interviewed. And we're going to start off with a little bit about where you live. So it yeah. looks like a nice bright and airy apartment you've got there. And we were just, I've been on a tour. I've been on a bit of a tour of outside. So it's across from where the Olympics were. So you're in straight. I, I won't give you two the full tour. No. Uh, that, that might take a while and drag on a little bit. It's not, it's not exactly MTV Cribs. No. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you, you already introduced it. I, I mean, I live in, I live in London, England. Um, I live in uh, Stratford, which is the town in the East End, which was recently, well, I mean, a little while ago now, um, but was redone for the Olympics. And so we've, we've got Olympic Stadium here, uh, just across the road from my house. Australians will be glad to know. Um, I have one of the two Westfields that are in London. Um, Feels so like home. That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Aussie, Aussie Pride across the road there with Westfields, uh, which I never knew was an Australian organisation until I came over here. Um so it's yeah, it's a beautiful part of the city. I'm probably about twenty to thirty minutes out of most places in central London on the train, um, which is really great. So very, very much inner city zone two. Don't yeah, well that's good. So and you're living with friends, so um, there's four of you together, all yeah, in the that's same correct. all in the same age group, late twenties. Yep, late twenties, early thirties. Everybody is, um, and yeah, we're all we. There's four of us living in a three-bed house here, um, which is, I suppose, I suppose for Australians, it's kind of bizarre this concept of like having lots of housemates. Um, but in England and especially in London, if you're a young person, you, I mean, actually, even if you're not a young person, um, you're more than likely to be living with multiple people just because of the way that housing is here and how expensive it all is. Um, the plausibility um, of living by yourself. Um, is, is effectively economically impossible. So everybody lives with housemates here, even if you are a lot of the time in serious relationships or married or even have children, often you might have um, live with housemates as well. So high-density living, definitely high-density living. In, indeed, indeed. Yeah. I, I, I would say that we're probably not the most high-density living in the world. I think, I think probably Tokyo maybe has that one uh, down pat. But, um, I mean, it's a big, big city and there's lots of us here. Um, I mean, I think that the population of London is, is close to half the population of Australia. Um, so it's very big, 
and, and very crowded place. Very crowded. So when you've, you're self-distancing or you're self, oh, not self-isolating, you're social distancing, and how long have you been doing that for? When did you finish? Well, actually, we should talk first of all about what you do for a living. So can you explain yeah. what it is that you do? Because it's quite exciting. <laughs> I am a, a theatre producer, um, which is one of the reasons why I live in London, uh, being one of the theatre capitals of the world next to New York, of course. Um, so I um, effectively work behind the scenes and pull the strings on theatre productions. I primarily work um, not on the West End. I don't work on like Mamma Mia or Wicked or um, Matilda the Musical or anything like that. I, um, I, I work for... Uh, organizations which do a lot of what we call here immersive and site responsive or site specific work um, so i have the opportunity to work in some amazing spaces and create theater and create art in, in some really interesting spaces i worked at um, a place called the actors church for a number of years uh, creating work in their beautiful courtyard gardens in the middle of covent garden um, if anyone's seen um uh, uh my Fair Lady, um, that's a lot of that is shot there. Um, the very famous film from like the 50s, 60s. Um, so, I can't answer that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, yeah, I'm not sure around know, that. Know the church. Yeah, around there. And a lot of people know that church because it's um, uh, it's where all of the very famous, uh, like Punch and Judy and the buskers in London congregate and, and perform in front of that church. So, you know, I've created like sort of responsive sites pieces in the gardens there and I also just had the opportunity of working in Kensington Palace which is of course um, wow. the residency of William and Kate um, amongst various other royals that live at Kensington Palace um, so just did a show there um, and yeah I mean in front of City Hall so some really amazing spaces it, it, just it, sounds really dull <laughs> it's really <laughs> dull <laughs> Water building that you think of when you think of theatres. I, yeah. I get out of those theatres. <laughs> well, you're living the dream by the sound of it. Or you were up until when? So when did you uh, go into social distance or when did lockdown begin for you? Um, it's begun, I believe, I think officially in the UK it was on the 23rd of March. Um, I was already at that point um, in, I had been self-isolating and working from home for a week and a half prior to that. So it's probably been about, I've actually lost count, but it's probably been about six and a half weeks. Yeah. Isn't it funny how time, the perception of time has changed? Like I, I think the same yeah. thing. Okay, how long has it been? Has it been four weeks or six weeks or? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Where is it? Where is it in the, spe- in, in the thing? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it is really strange. The first few days naturally were like, really day by day was this this big big moment and then as the time's gone on I think everyone's adjusted to it I mean I was making video diaries at the start of this and I've sort of dwindled off that because I think I think as I've adjusted to it I've not needed that outlet um and and all the days kind of blur into one and I don't really have much to say day to day about they sort of just like level out (laughs) it is it is isn't it mondays and tuesdays and thursdays and sundays are all the same now it's very it's very strange so in the beginning were you concerned petrified anxious just you know or self it's going to be fine were you um in denial i no i was i mean for i would say when when the the 
early days of it came out I think I was very much in denial I was very much one of those like I, I suppose classic millennial um looking at the world and being like oh you know this is no different to SARS or Zika or any of the other various pandemics or, or epidemics that we've had um and then and then when it became more evident that it was was not that um I, I really, yeah, I became a really anxious mess. The, in, the, in the few days before um, we went, we started working from home, which again was a week and a half before the UK officially went into lockdown, um, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't concentrate on anything. My entire day was sat watching press briefings, you know, refreshing BBC News, refreshing the stage and watching watching the world but also my industry sort of come tumbling down and it was a very hard time to sit and focus on anything else um other other than that absolutely i think yeah absolutely so really so you what so who, whose decision was it for you to go home and work from home was that your decision or was that somebody else's decision it was kind of, it was prompted by boris johnson yeah um so it wasn't because you said you went a, a week and a half early so he prompted that on the 23rd, but you were already well and truly at home by then. So was that so your anxiety? Said, yeah, yeah, so the UK went into, like, official lockdown on the oh, 23rd, okay. meaning that at, from the 23rd of March, all of the shops were forced to close down. People were effectively told that they were not allowed to leave their house unless okay. um, for to go buy essential groceries to go to the supermarket or to have one... Uh, one walk or run um, or piece of exercise or whatever a day so that was the point in which the government sort of like introduced the fact that if you left your house I mean you could get fined um, but prior to that you know for the week the week and a half uh, two weeks but prior to that there was very much um, the government was saying if you can work from home you know you should and sort of trying to prepare I suppose everyone for the inevitability okay. that came on the 23rd so you were so able to make decision yeah, yeah so the day that we started working from home we were sort of already aware that it was coming and we were actually planning we, we started on the on a tuesday and we were planning to try and finish out that week and had plans to start working from home from the following monday but that afternoon on, on a tuesday afternoon so sort of like half a week prematurely um boris johnson did a press briefing and and effectively said if you if you are able to work from home you're not you know, you're not to go into work. Um, and it was at that point that we we knew that we there was absolutely no reason for us to be in the office. We needed to go and work from home, so that's what we did. So that. And how did you prepare house? Oh, so you've got other, three other people in the house. Were they all working from home at that point or, or not working or what had happened with them? No, I was the first person um, to uh, start working from home. Um then I would say, following very quickly, one of my housemates who's an accountant, he his organize, he works for a much bigger organisation and so he wasn't as agile to just jump into working from home the way I am. I just work off my laptop, no problems. Um, so he, I think, was in lockdown by the end of the week and then or working from home by the end of the week um, and then... Uh, my other two housemates who do sort of services and shift work of various degrees, one's a hairdresser and one in, works in front of house for 
the South Bank Centre, a big theatre here in London. They were they sort of trickled in the, the week after. I think I think it was just before official lockdown, which all the salons closed and um, Brandon was working from home. So it was a really staggered approach, which I think was probably good because it enabled us to react in different ways, like react at different paces to, to the reality of what we were doing. And did you find that the the emotions in the house changed? Did you find that that some of you were frightened, more or less anxious than the others, or were you all just standing there looking at each other going, oh, my God, we're, we're in this together and this is it? I think I was probably the most anxious, to be honest. Uh, I think I freaked out the most. Um, the... It, because two of us are still working, what's been really interesting is how the other two who aren't working, because they, they work in customer-facing roles, um, how they are coping with that. Because we've got this sort of split house where, you, you know, you've got, to, you've got to respect the fact that two of us are working. And so it's not like we've got all four of us vegging out on the couch watching Netflix all day. And so it's been interesting to watch them adapt. And, I, and because for the most part, myself and my other housemate, you know, we get up at the same time every morning and instead of getting commuting and sitting in the office, we just, we just sit up, you know, either in the lounge room or our bedrooms and, and work, but they've got to busy themselves without being sort of disrespectful to what we have to do and, and to our work. So that's been really interesting is watching them sort of find that um, one of my housemates has really thrown himself into um, effectively trying to set himself the similar work routine that we do. So he makes himself get up at the same time that we do and he makes himself just open his laptop and sit and do work um, at, you know, from 10 to 6 every day with us. Um, the work that he's doing is obviously not paid work in the same way that we are, but it's, you know, he's he's forcing he's himself to have that routine. Mm. Um, my other my other housemates probably struggling a little bit more, um, trying to find uh, hobbies and things to do. Um, but he's throwing a lot of that energy into um, into exercise and stuff like that. And so he tries to get busy himself and get out of the house without sort of ending up in a Netflix binge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I think everyone's guilty of that. So that that's a question actually. How have you gone with internet service? with everyone working at home? Because I know there was a big concern that they thought that here that, that the whole NBN would just crash. How have you gone with internet service over there? It's um it's not been too bad. I, I It jumps in and out. It's definitely a bit slower at times than it usually or has been historically. Um, I mean, I called them the other day complaining and they were like, I, you know, there's nothing we can do. There's too much service and stuff. But actually, for the most part, it's been manageable. Um, there's only been three occasions where I've been sort of in a Zoom meeting like this and the internet's just not been playing nice. So it's been it's been okay. So it sounds to me that you're, because I, I know what you're like, you're generally a go-getter and very ambitious, or you wouldn't be sitting in London, you'd still be sitting in Australia, probably <laughs> working at Just Jeans or something. I know, because they're probably close. Yeah, you'd be doing that. So you've not, I mean, you've packed up, you've educated yourself at a tertiary level and then packed up and went to London and to establish a life. So you're a go-getter. So you're generally very organised and and creative and creative very much outside of the house so I'm just wondering how you've gone because it sounds like you're, you're obviously you're still working the normal hours that you would work how have you adapted to having to use your creative mind in the confines of how, how big is your apartment is it quite small or is it a bigger um it's 
big for London standards. It's tiny for Australian standards. <laughs> <laughs> so is that your entire um, lounge room that you're in there? This is that's you're in the communal no, no, living this space. Is, this is my bedroom. Oh, this is my the bedroom. bedroom. Oh, sorry. Is, is much bigger, so it's an all right size. That's a that's a good size bedroom. That yeah, is a good yeah. size bedroom. So it's, it's not. It, we definitely have. There's definitely tinier houses in London, um, but for four of us, it's not. It, you know, we, we don't have spare rooms. We don't have. We don't have, really have nips and crannies. We just have the lounge room, um, and we have our bedrooms like that. And that's it. House. So how have you found um, with your creative mind? Yeah. The key. How um, has your creative mind gone in in a bedroom and a lounge room? Yeah, I mean, I, I bought my housemate's bottle of champagne just to apologise and, and, and say thank you to them recently. When it, when it all kicked off, I was so I was in such an anxious mess that I needed to channel energy into something productive. Um, and so I channeled that energy into creating a fundraiser. Um, and so last Thursday, not the third, like not the Thursday, that was two days ago, long before, um, we, I put on a 12-hour live-streamed telethon with um, a variety showcase, all raising money for the arts, which was a mammoth. Um, we had that. something like probably about 200 um, artists working on the show in some capacity, whether that producing or being back, backstage um, or being on the stream. But yeah, it was there was about 100, I think, artists even on the day who effectively live-streamed in the way that we are and broadcast out um, over the course of 12 hours. So that was a huge undertaking and that was something that I really channeled my energy into doing. I think a lot of that was running away from the reality um, and it was it was a reason to cope because if I can drown myself in work, if I can drown myself into some into a goal, then you you can block out everything else around you. Um, so I've actually only been in sort of like had to deal with the reality for one week. <laughs> yes, I... <laughs> that's true. You've been I, busy. I, I found that so that was how I kept creative. You know, I knew that I wanted to do. There was only, there was there was such an anxiety anxious feeling not just me but with the world and I needed you know I, I wasn't in a position where I could volunteer for the NHS or do anything like that because I was still um, working during the day but I couldn't just spend six hours every evening sitting on my phone you know with this pending doom type thing I couldn't do that so I channeled that into something you know very creative and something I was very proud of doing um, but now I've got to actually face that reality so um now, I, now I'm starting a cooking blog. See, see, this is this is great because this is what I have noticed has been a common theme across everybody has been that first of all they've gone into high anxiety, so it's normal to feel anxious during this. And I would expect that you, and if you don't feel anxious during the pandemic, then you're clearly disconnected from reality. Yeah reality because in in any of our lives i mean you, you can go to your parents and your grandparents and they're not going to have experienced a pandemic either so it's um they may have experienced an epidemic somewhere but not a pandemic so yeah. it's new not, to all like of us this. yeah not like this 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 is a different thing altogether and it is life-threatening on a on a horrific scale and of course we were sitting here watching what what was going on in london and what's gone on in new york and italy so around when, when we were first starting to go into to social distancing, that was when Italy was hitting its straps and, and it was just petrifying to watch it and then to watch it roll like like a storm through through into London mm. and then New York. So it's been yeah a, a shock for us as well. But the, I've noticed the common theme has been I put myself into a project. 
So whether that be I decided to as you just a just a tiny little twelve hour fundra online streaming fundraiser with two hundred odd performers. Um, I mean, it's more than I can chew. To be fair, with that one, that one exploded a little. That project got a little bit too much. I definitely pendulum swung. Well, they, I can't even use the expression "go hard" or "go home" because you did go home to do it. So it was uh, you did both. Um, yeah, exactly. And now, and now a cooking blog, which I'm looking forward to. I hope some of the Thai cooking skills that you picked up in Thailand are going to feature in this at some point. Um, Very much so, yeah. Definitely. Uh, and and pe- that, that's what people have said. We've, we've, I've taken up a new hobby and I've done this, but at the same time we keep encouraging people not to put too much pressure on yourself. If you don't come away speaking fluent Italian out of this, it doesn't mean you've failed. You've got to do something that's that's attainable as well. So well, exactly it. Sorry, I, th- I think I think the people you know mental pe- mental health is so such an intricate and personal experience that you know a really big especially with artists um, you know I mean God, to say that artists wear their emotions on their sleeve you know is uh, is an understatement hmm. um, you know we feel things in a different way and a lot the art a lot of the artist community here in in the, in the UK are very much trying to take that that um, stance on it which is you know it's it's okay if if you do get into that Netflix binge if that's what you need to cope with it is to put yourself in lock yourself away and put yourself into a hole and 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 not do anything then, then do that and but it's also equally okay to channel all of that energy into doing that huge you know that that huge to-do list that we always aspire to do and never actually manage to find the time to do in real life this is an opportunity to do a lot of those things or to try something new or, or to do whatever and I think that in the best sort of postmodern, you know I ideal it's a very personal journey what everyone's going through right now Mm. um and it's also very personal because we're so locked away from everyone else that you just have to cope with it the way that you want to cope with it and you can and that's okay so did you uh, i know I, i said to you before about being homesick but when this pandemic kicked off in london did you at any time consider coming back to australia yeah we did um it was it was really it was really interesting, and I, I, it kind of goes to show the speed in which all of this happened around the world, um, and and how the reality struck. Because um, essentially, I mean, Australia is kind of you guys are behind, and you haven't hit quite where nowhere near you know, London, London, you know, the UK and and the US and Italy and, and other countries have have got to. Um, you, you sort of reacted much before that. Um, but at the point in which we realised that this could go potentially be going on for longer than a couple of weeks, which is kind of what everyone thought at the start, you know what I mean? Like, we'll, we'll go out for a couple of weeks and then it'll be all fine. Um, we had a conversation, my housemate and I, he's also from Australia, had a conversation about going back. And um, before that had even fully formed in our head, I think it was like 12 hours later, Australia closed the borders and um, whilst we are citizens and we could have come back, um, we would have had to have um, isolated in a hotel for two weeks. Yes. Um, And, I mean, my housemate actually already had a trip to Australia booked for May in a couple of weeks that he's he's no longer able to go on. Um, And then very quickly after that, it became evident that even if we wanted to lock ourselves into a hotel for a couple of weeks, it would be incredibly difficult and expensive to get from London back to Australia. Um, and so we did think about it um, and then it didn't become a reality. But then we also 
sort of considered the reality of self-isolating with our parents and decided that that was not a smart decision (laughs) and that we would much more happily stay here. I really hope both yourself and Brandon's family don't hear this. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll happily tell them to their face. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll happily tell them. Well, it is, I mean, that's true because you would be coming back here to do very much the same, whereas it sounds like staying there, it is home, as you were saying before, um, that you're well established there. It's home now. Your life is here, your job's there, your social circle's there. The only thing you're lacking is family, which you've created another family inside the friendship group. So even though you're isolated, were you worried for your own health or were you worried like for your parents' health or what What were you worried about? What, what made you anxious, that it was going to make you sick or it may may um, take your job permanently or, or, or lo and behold, kill you, I suppose, ultimately? All, all of the above. I've never, no, I've never really been fearful of my health in this time. Um I'm, I'm luckily young enough to be ignorant that it can't touch me and I still have a level of sort of like invincibility to myself um what I'm what I'm what I really got to me was was just how quickly the world was changing and then and trying to keep my own brain up with processing what the reality and the and the and the big picture of this is the enormity, um, and yeah. it's and it's something that like now I've I've sort of learnt to and and, and had the realization that actually it's not my job to try and keep up with because nobody has managed to work it out yet, and um, but it was more paranoia about the state of the economy and the state of my industry and um, and what that would mean for us and just a sort of fear of the unknown. I think because I assume the. Main- you would have had a lot of projects planned for from the 1st of April through to the end of the year. You're not planning things a, a week in front. So you've watched an entire 12, 8, you, well, we don't know at this point, but you've, you've watched months, if not years, of planning and work disappear. Yeah, so, the, yeah, we actually we actually had to cancel the show. Um, that was mid midway through. Um, so the, the Kensington Palace um, show that I was telling you about, it had two and a half weeks left of its performances and we cancelled that early um, because of the epidemic. That was um, about three days before I went into lockdown. Um, and, yeah, we, myself, and I, I was very blessed that despite that cancellation, actually the, the next thing that we had going was summer. And so there was there's a lot of people out there with, in, in my industry and I'm sure in many industries you had projects of, of, of varying degrees lined up and ready to go for sort of like late March April and the economic impact of not being able to produce work that you've that you've put time like money, already money all of the money's been spent before you open and then not to be able to open it and earn any income on it it could be devastating you could really have an wider impact um i personally now have cancelled uh about three or four other shows as well um which hopefully will postpone but you know you just never know we don't know where it's coming so and there's a lot of fear right now that actually for theater and for entertainment for sports and stuff like that and and for hospitality we're going to be in this for much much longer and it's not as simple as you know the government going okay great you can all go back now you know that's not that's not how it works it's going to take 
much longer time for my industry to try and recover from that. And being in an artistic community, which the artistic community is already really on eggshells constantly economically, um, you know, I, I think that there's going to be a huge shift in the viability of a lot of things here and around the world oh, um, when absolutely. it comes to creating art. And I, and, I, and I really fear for a lot of people. Hopefully I'll be okay, we'll see. But I do really fear for a lot of artists out there who, who just won't survive this and a lot of companies um, who just won't. It's, and that's that's the unknown, isn't it? That's really the unknown at yeah. this point because we still don't know. And that, that poses an interesting question. Do you think or are you seeing or hearing from people that you know that you're talking to, do you think that many people grasp how long it is going to take us to get out of this, that it's not we're not talking about a couple of weeks and then Boris Johnson's going to stand up at the podium and go, it's all over, folks, nothing to see here, go back to your life as it was. And I think yeah. because people in Australia are doing that, they're talking about let's open the schools, let's get everything going. And, um, you know, our state premier, Daniel Andrews, yeah. is saying it's not going to work like that. And I yeah. and they're expecting here, like, the kids will go back to school in, in the um, third term and everyone's thinking that day one of term three, the kids are all back front and centre. And I'm it's like, gonna it's gonna not going to happen like that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's going to be, everything is going to be edged slowly out with a waiting period of a month between every change and everything's going to take forever. So are you seeing that people are understanding that or are they just not able to fathom that this is not going to go away? Because you're still posting a decent infection and sadly death rate on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and not only that, even when, you know, we talk about getting over a peak, right? It's it's very evident that we've not got, got anywhere closer to squashing the virus, really, to the point that whilst we might have gotten over a peak and we might be able to sort of semi-cope, it depends on your political stance, and I, I won't necessarily get into that, um, uh, you know, depending on what your view of how it's been handled, what is really clear is that for us and for many nations in the world, um, I think Australia, to a degree, but your death rate is not nearly as high as ours. Um, no, we've had 81 change. people die. Sorry, Ginger. We've had 81 people die as of 81. today. 81. Oh, so that's and, actually and much, <laughs> much lower than here in the UK. I think we're on about 25,000. Yes, correct. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's much, much higher. Um, and... And yeah, even even if we even if we are in a position where that num- that death rate is dropping or that infection rate is dropping, if anything changes in the way that we're handling things, it could it could explode again, and we're 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 very aware of that. Um, there, I would say that it, it varies case by case on how people are coping with that. One of my housemates is sort of, you know, confident. Yeah, great. We'll we'll open the doors up very soon, and and we'll be able to go back to work and. And I think that, that that he has a possibility of being able to return to work um, relatively soon. Um, for me, I yeah, there is there is real talk at the moment of um, a lot of people being aware that we might not be able to go back to work or create new work or get really the theatre industry be able to bounce back until sort of summer summer autumn twenty twenty one. Which would really, really be devastating, and I think that's a real, you know, when we talk about art, it can sometimes seem like it's not, it's not that important. You know, there are there are more important things: mm. the healthcare system, the transport network, and whatever. Yeah. But 
when all this opens up, you know, the, the things that people are going to be desperate for is enjoyment is things to do is an enjoy, is mm. enjoyment and escapism in the way that only really theaters can bring we, we're going to be well sick of netflix you know we're not going to want, want to watch movies at, at netflix constantly and binge watch television shows that's going to be done you well know, we have this social interaction that only yeah. comes from theater you know ballet going to like music going to the park like all of these things that you get from culture um and if that can't really come back for over a year, I think that there are really, there's going to be wider social reactions to that as well. Absolutely. And there's another side of that too, and you would know, obviously being in the arts and, and production and so on, that people are saying, oh, well, we'll have Netflix, but you're not going to have movies, you're not going to have Netflix, they're not shooting anything, They can't, which therefore means they can't go. If it's not in post-production now and able to be done either remotely or via social yeah. distancing, there's not going to be any, well, there could be writing, but there's not going to be casting, there's not going to be sets produced, there's, none of those things are going to happen. Nobody's out scouting locations to film. So whilst we're all enjoying what's on Netflix at the moment, that's done and dusted for 18 months. Well, exactly. They're, they're, the film industry is handling it is slightly differently. They can, they, obviously, they can sort of, to a degree, um, control their situations because they don't rely on like like physical audiences being being there then you know Mm. there are ways in which sets you know you can close off a set and get around it but even from that point of view the uh the the time that it's going to take to get a lot of these shows back up and running it takes months you can't you, mm. you don't just click your fingers this is why a lot of music festivals and stuff like that are just are just saying no no we're not doing anything because the simple fact of the matter is is that the financial situation of what we do in the arts and, and that extends to film theater music anything um is so precarious that if you are don't have a, a sure deal you you just can't operate and so what's happening is it's that they're pulling projects before they even have before they effectively need to spend any money on it like music festivals and films and the lead times on, on the and the planning times on those things are 12 to 18 months so yeah. you know it's really unlikely that everyone will just be able to click their fingers and come september 1st you know that everything's lifted or whatever and Everything goes back to normal from from that point of view. We and can't it's not just going to, throw a yeah. festival together in two days. Absolutely. Well, we're seeing the same thing here. We made the news. I it was last night, the night before, but they've cancelled the Royal Melbourne show, which is the first yeah. time. Which for our we have a lot of uh, listeners in the US, which is our agricultural show here in Melbourne that runs in the it's like the ten days in the the last half of September. They have um, cancelled that first time ever in in the hundred odd years of it. And, you know, people saying, but but that's September, that's the end of September. Why are they jumping the gun and cancelling it? And it just, it's a real indication that people don't understand how long it's going to take to open back up again. So I think um, for someone like you, who's only in week one, really, of self-isolating, I just, I wonder how people are going to go when we get six months down the track, you know, and we're still doing the same kind of measures. So I think, like, for you, if you think about long-term, working from home how long do you think you'd be able to work from home for before you run out of things that you're able to do without being physically able to go on site well i think what's been really interesting and and it does go back towards like uh 
this idea of net you know what what is netflix and and what does that do for us is is to watch how the live the live events industry and i'll use that as a more broader term has adapted so incredibly quickly to to this because i think the thing that we realized very quickly with um, which we already knew, but we never really like embodied in the in the way that we're forced to embody now, is that the is that when you listen to Spotify or you listen to an album or you watch Netflix, it's a very um, pers- it's a really personal and insular and introverted activity. It's quite a passive activity, and and not all culture and not all experiences and entertainment people want to be introverted, especially in a climate in which you're forced to social distance and you and you're you're struggling to find connectivity with people anyway um and so what live events live music festivals live theater etc what it does is it actually brings it brings a social element into effectively a netflix you know into into netflix into music into spotify that that digital formats um to to date have have really not been able to replicate and what we're seeing now and it's really really been really amazing to watch so many industries completely adjust their in, in entire way of practice and very quickly too that, very very quickly incredibly quick, quickly completely redefining um art completely redefining culture completely completely redefining how people consume entertainment is is these these ideas of like creating things creating things live and and like you know on live streaming and stuff like that and we're seeing a real massive massive boom of people creating work in isolation of people being able to distribute and and stream that in isolation and people effectively finding ways to replicate the liveness and the socialness of what live music is of what um uh theater is of what art is um you know, in in digital ways and and through through screens, um, and that's been you know that I mean I did that last week, but a lot of different people are doing things in very exciting ways, and I I do think that the more that this develops, you know, if we can do that in the space of weeks, look at what we can do in the space of months, and I do think mm-hmm. that we will be able to redefine what a lot of this is, and we will be able to cope with it. It'll just be interesting to see how that's how that sort how of comes plays out long term. But I, I think the most important thing and the biggest aim at the moment for a lot of artists and makers and creatives is to answer the question of how do you give somebody an active and social experience through art rather than a passive and introverted experience that you get with existing digital technologies like Spotify and Netflix. Yeah, it's interesting. Our state government's been very proactive, I think, compared to other state governments in Australia. So our state government just um, released a live website that they're going to have Sunday night live events on, and they're covering all sorts from live music to they're, they're going to do tours of the National Gallery. They're going to do all sorts of stuff. They're going to keep bringing art to people via that platform. And uh, I find it very hard to to uh, criticise the way our government, our state government's handled everything here because they've, they've just really gone, you know what, long haul, what can we do to keep people connected and to keep people connected to art as a whole? Yeah. So, um, so it sounds to me like you're actually quite excited about what the prospects of a change could bring, that it might, you might not just learn new things but learn a different way to communicate yeah, I would say that the initial the initial fear is is gone now, right? And yeah, that, that's that anxiety has really died off, and then when the anxiety dies off, I think you know, as a creative, and that, it's it's just my normal 
reaction um, to to be able, you know, art is looking at the world and being able to respond to it. Um, and so that's that's kind of what we're doing now that the initial like oh panic is is done and we look over and we go okay great what can we do and what should we tell and how do we tell it. Um, so I think there is a lot, lot of opportunity and I am quite excited to see what people do in in a really forced, challenging way. I think that a lot of quite revolutionary and creative things will come of this, um, which is not which is things that we see throughout history in similar periods and times like this about how art, especially, and, and art, of course, reflecting society, reacts to things like wars, you know, pandemics, um, you know, d- depressions, um, etc. Uh, and and I do think that like historical moments that you know in the past where the world has gone through undue stress we will you know the art the artistic community will really redefine itself and re- really be able to tell some amazing stories well i suppose they say that is it is it coal when coal gets crushed it produced diamonds under stress mm. so heat heat and stress or something a coal, coal produces diamonds so so i suppose that's that's very much what it is so so when you say the panic has subsided are you feeling more comfortable now if you need to go out of the house like do you go and do your own shopping or are you having things delivered what are you what are you doing no i would say i i you know i would say that that is i go out of the house to go to the shops um maybe about once a week um but generally what i've done is i have locked myself in a cocoon and not gone out i was actually so so actually my housemate got coronavirus uh, oh, so I was going to ask, as if anyone's <laughs> had it. Okay, so one of your housemates got it. Yeah, one of my housemates got it. And as a result, we were literally not allowed to leave the house for two weeks. We had friends go to the shops shops for us and, like, leave it at the front door and everything like that for two weeks. Um, and that two-week period, so he got it at the very start of this, actually, like, a few days after I started lockdown. And so over the period of sort of, like, starting and then the uk officially going into lockdown we were we were in quarantine like you know quarantine because because he was sick in that period and um what i realized was that it then took me a further week after i could leave the house to actually go and leave the house and the main reason was because i hadn't I hadn't been able to day to day watch the world change, you know, as people were doing that whole like last hurrah at the pub, like, you know, last year, yes. shoot, all that. I was in isolation already. I was in full lockdown already. And I didn't get to have that like slow progression of watching, you know, step by step things, things die off. And I walked out of the house after three weeks and, you know, there's barricades everywhere. There's police harassing people on the streets just for being out. Um, you know, everything's shut. They, there's there's a different sort of sense of of being when you're just walking around around and that was scary that was really emotional the first time it is isn't it it's very emotional it's very i noticed it here i i started um became aware that it was going to be a problem what watching i was very much because i've been listening to um immunology podcasts and virology podcasts and so on from overseas and listening to what they were saying and watching it unfold and then having it start to to pick up here. And I I just said to my partner here, I said, um, at one point I'm going out to get things. We're going to, I'm going to get things enough for a couple of weeks and I won't be going out of the house again until we know what's going on. And so I went and shopped and, and sort of not, not hoarding. I wouldn't call it, you know, panic buying, 
but I definitely made sure that we, we didn't have to leave here for two weeks. And then not long after that, the school closed and, and so we were home here. And so then we started the whole, like I have a sanitation station in the in the garage that nothing comes into the house until it's gone through that. And yeah, we've done all of this. Charlie and Rob were only leaving the house to, to ride their bikes, you know, so it was, yeah. um, that was it. So, but it has subsided now. It's a lot calmer. Like I feel, because obviously our, our um, rate of cases in Victoria, our, our current um, infectious cases is, is quite low, but there, you know, we have had, we've had seven cases overnight that have tested positive because there's been an outbreak in an abattoir here somewhere. So we have an, oh, wow. ab- yeah, we have an abattoir up the road. So eight workers have been diagnosed and it's like, well, is it the abattoirs that's a kilometre up the road here or is it? one that's somewhere else like is it in this area has it been because if those people have tested positive how many how many times did they go out in the community how many times could they potentially and and i think that um so you would have a a far greater sense or or feeling of how infectious this is because obviously you know someone that you i mean and to not the other three of you didn't get it no almost miraculously (laughs) to be honest and actually, um, you know, my my housemate had a, a friend stay the night, the, the morning that he woke up and was like, "I'm ill," um, and none of no one, none of us got it. Um, which we, everybody I talk to and say that to is is mind blown. But I would say that we were we were careful. When he woke up and said, "Guys, I, you know, I've got a fever," instantly his partner um, locked himself out of the room, slept on the couch for a week. Um, we you know we disinfected the whole house like we bleached down the couch you know like everything was clean um and then he he effectively wasn't allowed out of his room if we went if we took him food we made him food and we would take it into his room with a scarf around our face drop it off at the door leave um and and we were careful like that and so and i think that I, i do think that there is a real reality which is which kind of leads on to what a lot of people are saying at the moment in regards to testing is that you know we're we're a house of like people in our late 20s early 30s there's every chance that we did actually get it and didn't show any symptoms that's and right they don't yeah. know you know the, the scientists don't particularly know how that how that works yet and how that affects people um but i do think there's probably a really high chance that we have actually contracted it and we just don't know we just our bodies just didn't react we had a very bad flu charlie brought home a very bad sort of flu that went through all of us and it involved an extremely high temperature and a dry cough that hung around for weeks and um rob was in a huge amount of pain joint pain i was i had shortness of breath charlie bounced back from it pretty quickly but rob and i were knocked around quite significantly and and the lethargy and the pain and the muscle so we don't know because at that point, do you point, think that that was Corona? Like, are you are you confident that was coronavirus? No. Or do you at, think at the time it wasn't? At the time, we we didn't. But now I look back and I think that, that that it was circling in the community a lot earlier than we realised. We live in a high migrant population here, where there's a lot of people that yeah. are transient. There's a lot of people that come from Iran that live in this area, and Iran was being hit really badly around mm-hmm. that time, and had been for the few weeks prior to that. So it's possible there was a lot of children at Charlie's school that were unwell, a lot of kids. Mm. So maybe perhaps it did its rounds. And, and I, I was talking to one of the other school mums. I had to go and drop off something at her house and she was just around the corner here and she was saying her daughter had been home with this sore throat 
for a few days and um, and she had had, um, she said, I'm so tired, I can't keep my eyes open and, and she said, no, I've got this headache I can't get rid of and my joints are aching, but she hadn't had the sore throat. So I, I didn't yeah. say, I sort of backed away thinking, I wonder, I wonder if it has gone through the school and it's just not been picked up because we didn't qualify for testing at that point. If it happened now, we would all qualify for testing, but back then you had to have been overseas to be tested. Yeah. And, of course, yeah. none of us yeah. had. So um, there's no real way of knowing, but um, but I suppose there'll be, at some point, there'll be, be testing for antibodies and we'll, we'll find out. But um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how Australia's actually been quite quite um, proactive and on top of it with the testing, aren't you? Yeah, we're doing a lot of it. So they've got a um, yeah. before the end of the fortnight, so we've got another ten days to go. They want a hundred thousand tests on in Victoria alone, and then from right. that, they think that that was so they're testing everybody that's symptomatic, and yeah. um, and then asymptom- if, if you come through emergency at any hospital at the moment, they're looking at just testing everybody that comes through, whether you've got symptoms or not, just to get a, a good spread of the population to see whether it's lurking out there and people are asymptomatic. Yeah. So um, that so we keep joking that if they're looking for asymptomatic people, like you'll just be walking down the street and people will jump out in hazmat suits, wrestle you to the ground, swab you and run. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> You say you say that, but I did go into a local, a small local Asian supermarket the other day to go get my uh, dumplings, and um, uh, they, they they're testing you at the door, and that was kind of a really bizarre. They're not testing you for coronavirus; they're yeah. temperature testing you at the door, and that was a really bizarre, ex- like like apocalyptic experience really to go through. Um, so you say you know almost expecting people to jump out in hazmats and test, but I don't I. I I don't think it's un- like it, it's necessarily a crazy, a crazy reality at the moment. It is. Anything could happen over the next few months, yeah. especially as we start to open up and things and things go. So, is that is your housemate the only person that you know that that has tested positive, or do you know other people? Well, actually, we, he's he's not been tested. So, oh, sorry, so London and the UK is um, is really not handling testing very well um, and is getting a lot of criticism for the way it is. Um, I mean, I think our number in terms of how many people we want to have tested is similar to Victoria's. However, that's across the entirety of uh, either England or the United Kingdom. And if you put the population in comparison, it's a very different very different percentile of people. Um, and and so effectively that 150 odd thousand tests uh, thousand thousand tests really is just touching the surface of emergency NHS staff, and even then, a lot of NHS staff are saying that they they don't have access. So, near civilians like myself and my housemates, you know, there's absolutely no way of getting your hands really on these tests. Um, so we don't know. All we have to go off of is symptoms, and the real telling sign for us was that um, before the sort of media had picked up or analysed about the loss of taste and the loss of smell, he had that sign. And we had so I, I in answer to your question, I have had one or two other people who had had flus, and I was talking to, and I said, yeah, it was it, it was really weird. You know, I, I lost I've lost my smell, I've lost my taste. Um, that's not a normal flu symptom, yeah. and then. My housemate got that. I thought, this is weird. Maybe it is a symptom of coronavirus. And go and behold, two days later, it was in flu. That He's was got it. So that, that's yeah. what makes us feel fairly confident. But, yeah, I have I have now known maybe three or four people who, who have uh, really shown those symptoms. Yeah, so we didn't have that. 
but we did have like if you look at the the list of symptoms we had like I had the nausea and Rob right. had a headache that went on and on and on for a long time so at the time I actually I had to go and see my GP for another totally separate reason and I said to her we've had this go through and she said look it sounds like the flu and again because yeah. it was so early on it was around the time that they were saying, look, if you haven't been overseas, the chances of you having it are highly unlikely. Yeah. Whereas now we sort of know that it would have been in Australia probably, you know, a good eight weeks well prior. Well before that point. At yeah. least eight weeks prior. So, But I, I think we have handled it quite well here and I, I, I feel confident going out at the moment, whereas good. take me back four weeks ago and I was the only one leaving the house and I was like, you go out and just go, I just need to get out, get this and go home. So I'm only shopping yeah. about once a fortnight now and um and i disinfect everything that comes into the house like we're yeah we're trying to keep on top of it as best we can but um because we don't we just don't know what it means long term once you've had it whether it's going to be like glandular fever where it'll come back and bite you or malaria where it comes back you know we just don't know enough about it so but it's um yeah well, that's, it's been fascinating talking to you, Sophie. I think it's always oh, a pleasure. You. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. fun. It is fun. Morning. Great insight. I love to talk to the creative people. See, I'm trying to cover this this whole broad range of um, of different people that are in different <laughs> places doing different things. And and I'm dying to see, is it all right if we check back with you in, in a couple of months' time and see what's going on? Because I'm dying to see what your brain yeah. flicks over. Because I just know if you've had a week in social isolation or social distancing, Give it another couple of days, and you're gonna. There'll be something else going on. So um, yeah, I, I, just... I, I can't sit still very well. I'm not a person to sit still. No. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I'd be delighted to check back in and, and see. I, I have no idea what the next few months will bring, and I'm sort of excited by that. Well, let's hope that when we do speak in, um, you know, a couple of months' time, that we're looking at relaxing the social distancing measures, and you're able to be out yes. enjoying some of that wonderful European summer rather than Indeed. seeing it from inside um, a window at the Indeed. very least. If, if we can, I will certainly do this in a park in a, <laughs> in a few months if, if we're allowed to. <laughs> there's a name. There's a name. Yeah, there's, there's a name. London, I challenge you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so thank you to all of our listeners as well. If you're listening to this on, on the podcast, on um, you can just pop up, go over to YouTube and look at the channel there, Mind Matters with Sandy and Kathleen. There'll be a video version so you can see Sophie and I in all of our glory, all of our isolation glory. Um, <laughs> and if you're watching it on YouTube, of course, you can you can also pop over to Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes or um, iHeartRadio. So it's on all of those. And if you have questions or feedback, you um, can email us at, uh, what are we called? Sky Wellbeing Centre. I can never, well, Sky Wellbeing Centre at um, bigpond.com. I can never remember our email address. It's terrible. I can't remember what we're called. But uh, <laughs> that's what it is. Thank you very much, Sophie. And um, to all the listeners, I will catch up with you soon. Music.